you need to be one of two things. You need to be a salesperson or you need to be a very technical person who can build something. The salesperson will do better than the technical person because technical people will always struggle to sell. They'll always struggle. And you're not just selling to the customer, you're selling to the banker, you're selling to the VC, you're selling to, you're always selling. That's your job as an entrepreneur because you want to make money. Somebody has to buy your product or your service at the end of the day or your mentorship, whatever it is that you're pushing, right? So sales is the biggest and the most important trait that people need to learn. What do you want out of life? Do you just want to keep doing this? What, what does success look like to you? And what does your happiness look like? Do what you need to do to take a break. Your success is not determined by your productivity level. Recognize that those skills that got you those achievements will get you that after the fact. But take a minute to pause because life life is really short. Like if you didn't learn that in the pandemic, there will be something else will push in front of you to say, relax, take a time out and breathe. It's okay to breathe sometimes. Welcome to Visionary Voices, a podcast where we get to speak to inspiring entrepreneurs and leaders in the Canadian business space. Today, we are honored to have Meryl Africa, a seasoned financial services professional with a decade of expertise in transformative payment solutions. Meryl is not just an industry expert, but also a social impact champion, and she's led a lot of initiatives connecting Black professionals globally. Meryl used to be the president of CAUFB. And you were the founder of Black Ties, the co-founder of Black Ties. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We're honored to have you, Meryl. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be part of the podcast and part of a lineup of amazing guests that you've had. So thanks for having me. I did a lot of research about you. I listened to a lot of the interviews you have done. And I am super inspired by your own personal journey. A lot of your background is like me but it's very different in a lot of ways. You're originally from South Africa. I'm originally from Cameroon. I've been here 13 years. You've been here about that a little bit over, but you're such a, an inspiration. You're such a visionary, so many things. I just want to get to know a little bit more about your personal story. So just tell us a little bit about Meryl. Who's Meryl? Thank you. That was a really beautiful intro. Um, so as mentioned, I am originally from South Africa. Um, I was born there, grew up there. I grew up in a township called Ennerdale. So um, for those who know a little bit of South Africa's history, we had apartheid. And so with apartheid, there was segregation of where Black people and colored people and Indian people could live. And so I grew up in one of those townships. Um, so I was part of the first generation of people of color that went from segregated schools up until the fourth grade into non-segregated schools. So you can just imagine sort of that eye-opening sort of experience and then having a sister who was um, 13 years older than me and having her sort of lived experience versus my mother's lived experience throughout the apartheid regime. So um, part of the first generation to go to non-segregated schools, first generation to go to university. Um, when I graduated, I moved to Canada. And since then I've lived across various provinces. So lived in Manitoba, in Alberta. Um, I'm now in Toronto, was spent a little stint in Montreal as well. Um, so I've had varied Canadian experiences as an immigrant, um, but most of my career has been in the financial services space where I've worked predominantly in the payment space. So I've done sales, I've done um, product, I've done regulatory work all on how you as a consumer, as a business, the products that you're using to move your money, save your money, um, the regulation that goes into that, the policies around that. And then I've also um, sold you guys who are probably watching some products if you were out in Alberta or in Toronto. Um, and so I did that while simultaneously um, thinking about how I could grow my professional brand. Um, and that's when I actually stepped into CAUFP as part of the leadership and led the organization throughout the pandemic. Um, and that led to the creation of Black Ties, the mobile app to connect um, Black professionals across the globe. And I was doing that up until a couple of months ago, from which I stepped back and I've been sort of dealing more with the other side of being a professional of color that we don't talk about a lot, which is the burnout and the self-imposed sort of um, goals that you set for yourself that are insane goals and you never stop to rest and to just sort of live and enjoy life. And so that's kind of the, the phase that I'm in right now. 
taking a note here and I'm going to come back to it. You talked about burnout and I do, looking at your achievements, I identify you as a high achiever. So we're going to come back to that part for my notes so I can remember to get to it. So (laughs) I'm looking at your upbringing and how did your upbringing in South Africa and going through apartheid and, and all of that segregation, how did it shape your vision for the things that you do right now and the impact that you're creating in business? Yeah, I think it's why I'm extremely passionate um, when it comes to racial issues. Um, In South Africa, we grew up, you grew up in apartheid and that was just your norm. You know, you knew that if you were black, this is sort of the level of success you would having. Um, If you were colored, so mixed people of mixed race lineage, even though I identify myself as black, you had a certain level of of, um, almost like a a mix of racism and caste system. of expectation. And so when I came to Canada, I was really expecting that it's this country that it's a melting pot and everything, everybody is, you know, living Kumbaya and it's perfect. And you get here. And like I said, you have varied experiences depending on the province that you're in. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was very shocking to me because I know it sounds weird to say this, but I was never cognizant of the color of my skin until I came here. Yeah. Because I was really reminded that you are not white. And I yeah. felt that every day in the workplace and every day in my interactions in making space, even in my dating life with, with certain individuals, I was constantly reminded of that. And I think that just sort of empowered me to, to, to think about, we are such a liberal country as Canadians, you know, this is, mm-hmm. we welcome so many immigrants. How can we still have this type of mindset? And so um, when I joined CAUFP and I found out about the organization, um, it really just helped me sort of to have a, a platform or a channel through which I could say, okay, I don't fundamentally and like what's happening and what I'm seeing in society and what I'm seeing in the workplace. How do I take it upon myself to actually find a vehicle in which I can actually change all of this and make impact? And tr- even if I'm only impacting one person and making them have a better experience or impacting one executive to change their mind in the way that they lead or manage their team, at least I know I've done something in this life. And that's really sort of been the catalyst behind it is um, I feel like everybody has the power, no matter who you are, to at least change something in society, no matter how small, it doesn't have to be something grand. And so that's always been the thing that's motivated me. Are you familiar with Trevor Noah? Yes. Okay, because I did read his book and the book, I think it's called Born a Crime. And he, he makes a lot of jokes about apartheid South Africa because, of course, he's a comedian, right? Yeah. But that definitely also shaped his outlook on life and what he does right now in life. And also just shedding light on certain things. It gives him this unique perspective on the change that he's trying to create. And I think I hear a lot of that message in what you're saying as well. Yeah, it's it's and Trevor had a very unique upbringing because in South Africa, it's now it's more common, but back then it was very rare that somebody was we call them you know like half caste. He had a white yeah. parent and a black parent. The rest of us are we're mixed for centuries, and so if you look at his experience, it was predominantly he grew up in the townships with black folks, and so it's a little different to mine. But I think fundamentally, every South African that you'll ever meet, because we've all gone through apartheid and it's been impacted us so negatively, we always are the ones who will put our hands up for some form of social change or speak out against injustices because we know what it's like to live under that type of regime. We know what the financial implications are when it comes to generational wealth, when it comes to generational trauma, when it comes through the trauma that you carry into your friendships, relationships, business, everything. And so we're always constantly thinking about how can we make the world a better place, um, you know, and like I said, in any small way, not everybody's going to go out and be an advocate and be on BNN and yelling at like corporations like, yeah, be better. <laughs> I, think, I think, you know, um, everybody tries to, at least every South African friend that I know, tries to sort of fight injustice in, in whatever way that they, they can. Yeah, awesome. So a lot of people often when they hear about the injustice side of things, it starts to think that maybe government is the one that's going to change something. But one thing that I do believe is that entrepreneurs are the ones who are going to create solutions for a lot of the problems that we face. And definitely a lot of immigrants who come over here face the barriers, certain barriers, and there are lots of them. We could talk about all of them, but there are lots of them. But a lot of people also come with this entrepreneurial spirit, entrepreneurial mindset, but they also face a barrier in trying to step into it. So with your knowledge of the financial industry and with your experience as as um, as a banker, as all of that in that space, and also as an immigrant, 
what is it that immigrant entrepreneurs could do to be able to put their experiences into use and to create the change that Canada definitely needs? Yeah, I think, you know, don't overthink the type of business that you want to create. I think, um, and I see this a lot with more with younger people because they read about, you know, there's this 20-something-year-old, they're on the Forbes 30 under 30, and they yeah. raised $100 million. And I think I look at some of the best entrepreneurs that I know that are immigrants, and some of them were clients, where, for example, um, there's a food chain, I can't remember the name of them because it was so many years back, but they're out in Alberta, and I think they're also in BC, and was a Vietnamese family. And all they did was supply food from back home because there wasn't really an outlet for them. And they saw that need. Um, and then they realized, well, we're serving the Asian community, but the Black community doesn't have anyone bringing in their stuff. And, you know, the Latino community doesn't have any. And eventually, over time, more of these types of stores started popping up. But they amassed so much wealth in doing that. Um, and I think it's, one, don't overthink what problem you need to solve. Sometimes it's a very simple problem like that and it's not the sexiest tech, whatever problem. It can literally yeah. be as simple as it's a grocery store and you can actually become wealthy off of that. Two, don't give up on your relationships back home. Those relationships back home are usually the ones that are going to help you, especially depending on the business model that you have. Um, you come into Canada seeing opportunity because a lot of us don't have the same opportunities in our home countries. So we're hungry, we're seeing those things. And I think sometimes we we forget that that is an advantage. And so I think it's just making sure that you have that mindset to always be curious, to always seek opportunity. And like I said, again, it doesn't have to be the sexiest business. What is that solution or service you can provide that's eventually going to make bank for yourself? That's great. I, I spoke to an immigrant uh, newcomer who was somewhere in New Brunswick, I think. And she was talking about the fact like she started, she, she spoke to people about wanting to to serve them with a need. And it was about uh, providing stuff like African fabric and that. And she said a lot of her friends said, yeah, yeah if you bring it in, we're going to buy it. And then when she finally did bring it in, nobody was buying it and nobody was supporting her, quote unquote. And yeah. what I said to her is like, don't start a business based on the thought that your friends and family are going to buy from you. If you want to yeah. create a business, you got to create a business that solves a problem. And so I yeah. think there is that difficulty in identifying, okay, I'm not trying to make this sexy or any of that, but what solution, what problem is there that I could solve and how can I be innovative in that solution that I'm trying to bring? And also getting the financial support from the bank, maybe. So is there anything you can say to that side of it, having had the experience, I guess, in all in all of those areas? Yeah, no, I love that you mentioned, like, don't just rely on your circle of friends or your your inner circle. I think that's the big thing, right? What can you solve for folks beyond your your circle of, of friends is one thing. Two, people have to also remember the Canadian market is very small. Um, so as a, aspirational as we are, um, I always advise people that when you're building, look at the Black, especially if you're a Black-owned um, company, look at the U.S. Their market is much bigger. So that's really who you should be targeting. And so I've seen a lot of tech, even tech companies that have come here and they've pulled out of Canada because the market is just, it's we're just not that big of a country. So those are the mm -hmm. things you kind of want to think about. Um, in terms of like funding, I would say one mistake that I see a lot of people doing is they will only go to the bank once they've exhausted all of their personal funding, right? Mm -hmm. They'll max out their credit cards, their life savings, they'll borrow from everybody. And then when they're on their last leg, they're going to the bank. That is not when you want to go to the bank because you're not going to look good on paper. You may luck out and get a financial advisor who's going to go to bat for you. But at the end of the day, he still has to make a case to an adjudicator who's a numbers person. And that person mm -hmm. is just looking at, are you, is Ida the best person on paper? That's all they care about. They put you in their little model and that's it. They don't care about your story. They don't care. And you hear the story all the time. Like there's Vivian Kay who started Kinky Curly Yaki. And she's, I think she was like the only black entrepreneur who started um, a wig and extension line with natural mm -hmm. hair. And in the U.S., people like businesses, Goldman Sachs is funding these businesses, but Canadian banks won't because they don't see the market for it. Um, and so you have to remember that, one, don't go to the bank when you're at your last leg. You want to look at your best when you're applying for financing. Two, um, don't just rely on the traditional, I'm going into a branch to get my financing. Mm -hmm. A lot of banks now are starting incubators. They're starting um, 
VC sort of arms, like RBCX is an example. Um, CIBC has an emerging um, thing they call the emerging tech sort of group. I forget what they're named after. Um, but they basically bought Silicon Valley Bank's rival here in Canada. And all of those people are out there. It's essentially VC funding, but it's just under yeah. the guise of banking. So you want to make sure that you're reaching out on LinkedIn to alternative people that work in those lanes. Um, and I would say go and talk to people at these associations. Like there are small business associations. There are forums like Scotia has one to help female entrepreneurs. Go and talk to those people who are working there and finding out how are they getting funding? Is it through the bank? Who's their banker? Is it through private lending? Is it through a VC that's funding them? If it is a VC, how are they pitching? How did they train for that? Who do they have to network? So you really have to start thinking outside of the box when it comes to all of the funding that you want to get. Um, and then also, we can talk about it later, but um, even with those who are getting funding um there's certain mistakes that I see people doing and okay. it always surprises me because they have, you know, fractional CFOs, for example, that are helping them out or they have a CFO in-house, but they're not, they're not utilizing their banking relationship in the best way that they could be. A big complaint I always see is the bank charges me too much on my, um, my, my transaction fees. This is, mm -hmm. a, and so it's a common complaint, but what, I see a lot of entrepreneurs never doing is, so I used to work in what's called cash management sales or treasury sales. So we're mm -hmm. typically the people who will come to you. You'll have some guy who's giving you a lending and then they usually bring somebody to the meeting either in the beginning or down the line who's talking to you about your online banking, right? Um, mm -hmm. And the folks who will see this are usually the people who are at a little bit of a bigger stage. They're in the mid to large stages of their entrepreneurship journey. Um, and so they're not shopping around for pricing. They're sitting and complaining, my banker Bob at Bank A is charging me X amount of dollars, but they're not shopping around. So when Susie and John and all these people from the other banks are emailing them or coming to their store to talk to them, they're not talking to them and they're not pricing to see what they can get. So that's one thing that I always think folks should do um, because it also holds your banker accountable, right? To say- So they well, should shop around for other- Offers in other, other banks, banking, is that what you're saying? Yeah, the other banks. Yeah, you need to go. So if somebody is soliciting you or if you're trying to reach out, find out, you know, um, when you're getting to the end of your contract, some people will have negotiated rates. Um, yeah. Or even if you're paying standard rates, go and find out what the other banks are willing to pay for you. Because what happens is every bank goes through different cycles. And certain banks are going to change certain industries for certain reasons because they're down on that book. They need to grow their deposits. They want to grow their small business. They are looking heavy into equipment financing. So because they want to give you that loan, they might give you free banking. You know what I mean? Like, so you want shop around because... So how does an entrepreneur know that? They don't know that. They won't know that unless they have a good banker or they're talking to somebody like me who's telling them. Like, <laughs> I remember I was arguing. I had one of my jobs. It was a bank who was doing banking with another bank. And I remember I was arguing with executives. I'm like, you guys are not getting a deal. They're lying to you and telling you that you're getting a deal. Uh -huh. Because I was junior. They weren't taking me serious until eventually, you know, somebody went and chopped around. And then they realized, I was like, you could have been saving so much money because you're processing so many transactions. But because, you know, you have your relationship with your banker who might take you golfing and fancy lunches or <laughs> you're just... Your CFO is like so busy with doing so much accounting that they're like, that's like, I don't really care. I'll, fine, I'll spend the 300 a month on banking. Like, I don't care. I've got bigger problems to deal with. And it's yeah. like, you could get better rates for your banking. You could get more lending. You don't know what you're going to get until you actually start shopping around. So whenever I'm talking to a business owner, that's the one thing I always tell them is like, yo, once a year or once every two years, make sure you're you or whoever your accountant is. This is what they're doing. They're trying to see what kind of financing they can get you. And don't just go to the big banks. Go to the credit unions too, because sometimes they may not have the fanciest tech um, platforms, but they mm -hmm. might give you the better rates, the better deposit rates. They, they will have staff who will process your um, payroll because the system is down and they'll manually make sure it goes into every employee's. Like, you know what I mean? They'll go yeah, above they and beyond. Yeah, do better service for you. Yeah, so that's one big thing. And then the other thing is, um, I always noticed that, so I used to be in the lower end of mid-market. So in the bank, the divisions are, are divided by the amount of lending a client requires. 
Okay. So um, if you are typically lending about 250 to 500,000, give or take, you'll typically be in the small business area. So that's usually the people you deal with in the branch. If you're okay. lending more than that, you typically should be sitting in the commercial banking sector. Now there's commercial banking is usually split between two, depending on the bank that could look different ways. But I was at CIBC, so it was anybody under $5 million in lending and everybody above $5 million in lending. Okay. So that sweet spot of between say 500,000 to $5 million in lending, those businesses are going to generate, it depends, it, it differs from time to time how much revenue they're making. But usually they're the businesses that are coming out of that small business range and they're kind of almost there at that, you know, the big, big leagues. Mm -hmm. But usually what happened is it might be a family business. And I'm not going to fire grandma because grandma's been our accountant for the last 15 years. <laughs> you, We love grandma. But you need the PFO that has a CPA that worked at like Deloitte or PwC or KPMG. The person that can talk to investors and use the right, the person can talk to the bank and make the right argument for you. And so a lot of people don't want to fire or demote or readjust the role, the org structure, <laughs> because it's a family business or it's their homie or it's their wife. And those are hard conversations, but it's like, you you got you to gotta play the big leagues, you got to put on your big boy pants, right? Like, you got to make yeah. big boy decisions. And that means you got to tell grandma, it's time for retirement now. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is a lot of businesses are in that space, right? I I know like businesses are gonna be this the big commercial and all, but the vast yeah. majority of businesses across Canada, I think, yeah. are in the lower section that are more like family-oriented businesses. And so that's actually a decision that it's not an easy one to make. And a lot of people have to make it. And I guess it just becomes like, oh, what does this other person do? And then you do what they're doing. Yeah. So where where is the education like? Who needs to know what and where they're supposed to go to know that thing they don't know? There isn't a lot of education on that. I, you know, I actually should probably create something to help educate people <laughs> on this. Um, usually, if you have a really good accountant um, or a really good banker, they'll tell you these things. So I know when I was in commercial banking and in two of the big fives, we would tell our clients that. And sometimes they think you know, oh, you're just trying to get your referral to your buddy over there at the big four accounting firm. And sometimes we're like, no, yeah. bro, like I'm trying to get you from a company that grosses 2 million a year to 20 million a year. And you can't get there by grandma or whomever. I keep saying grandma, but like I should yeah. text grandma. But <laughs> you can't do it with whomever it is that might be at this phase of your business. You know what I mean? Um so I think there's a lot of skeptics because you have to be skeptical as a, as an entrepreneur. You don't know who's trying to take advantage of you. But I think yeah. it's just, this is why it's important to network with other entrepreneurs, to talk to people, to talk to different bankers, because some of them, they just want to hit their targets so they don't care about your experience. But there's others who are just genuinely nice people who value relationship building and they're going to give it to you real. And they're going to tell you the things you don't want to hear, you know? <laughs> Mary, you should probably be creating that education that people don't have <laughs> yeah because <laughs> it's somebody who's been in there and it's somebody who's got a heart and somebody who has been on both sides of it that can actually give that advice and i think you should definitely do it yeah, yeah. and i definitely will that's it's good it's like i always talk about it i'm like i should actually just try to create something that can help entrepreneurs with this problem um but yeah like so that's those are the two big things i think entrepreneurs need to be um aware of and then what I see with younger entrepreneurs, VC is the big hot thing right now. Everybody wants to get with the VC. Let me tell y'all, when I was, I remember getting invited to this incubator to hear, they were like, oh, you know, we love what you guys are doing and um, we want you to participate in our incubator and we'll give you funding. And it's like, you're trying to give me $100,000 and take 30% of my business. Why would I do that? Like mm -hmm. I can go and get a loan. I can self-fund. I can crowdfund. Like I can like, and so I think that's another thing. People should not get so caught up in wanting to get on those headlines of, you know, we were we we're pre-seed and we're around this and we're around that and we're under you need to mm -hmm. decide is the venture capital really for you. I, I think it 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 works for some people. It doesn't work for everybody. And I think folks just need to be aware of that. Um, you don't, like I said, you don't always need the banks. You don't always need VC. You can crowdfund. And there's crowdfunding platforms that are out there that you can use. And people will 
they'll pay you, you know, they'll give you good hard earned money for a very teeny tiny percentage of stock or sometimes not even stock just for the product if you have a physical product you're selling, right, to be the first to get it. So I think people should just look at the different options that are there for them um, and make the best financial choice given where they are in their financial journey as an entrepreneur. Let's break that down to smaller pieces for a person who is just starting out. Um, Okay. So not too long ago, there was this, there was this African guy, Cameroonian guy who actually went on the shark tank and he got, he got invested in by West Hall. Yeah. And so a lot of people aspire to that. It's like, I think the next right thing for me to do is to get my products to a level where I can go in front of a shark tank or a dragon's den type thing and get one of those people to invest in me because that's what should happen next. Because that's what we see. So what do you say to that? What, what's supposed to be happening? I think you need to have some self self reflection. Why do you need to be on shark tank or dragon's den or any of these shows? Is it an ego thing? Because I want to be on TV and I think that, and I see Wes Hall and, you know, all these great things and I just, I want to be in this presence so I can, you know, hope that he can help me. Can he help you? Is, does he have knowledge on the type of business you're trying to run? And maybe he does. He has a variety of resources. And that's also where if you decide to go down the VC funding route, you have to choose the right firm with the right infrastructure for your business. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think people need to sit back, one, think about, what funding and what growth roadmap do they have for themselves? Because let's say you go on there, you get the funding. That's great. You've now sold off your business for 20, 30, 40, whatever the percentage is. Because what you see on TV isn't really what happens. There's a conversation that happens offline. And I think people mm-hmm. forget this, right? Whether it's Dragon's Den, whether it's these pitch competitions, once due diligence is done and they actually get to do your run your numbers and see what you're really worth, then there's actual negotiation that happens. And that negotiation depend determines, you may see somebody on TV and they say, yeah, I'm going to give you $5 million for 10% of your business. And then they do the numbers and they're like, uh, you came on here and you're, what you said is not what the books are showing. Yeah. And they may say, I'll still give you the $2 million, but I'm going to need more because I have to do more work to build you up and get you ready to scale at the rate that you need to scale. Um, I may need to you know, bring in more people to work under you who are more experienced and all these things. So I think people have to be really aware of that. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why I say you have to think about what is what is the goal for your business, right? Is the goal that I'm building this business to give it down to my kids? Is it I want to scale it, sell it, tap out and go and retire and go back home and have a beachfront property for a tenth mm-hmm. of the price of what you get here in Canada? Um, what are those goals that you're doing? What are you willing to relinquish for that capital? Is Canada the only region where you can find funding from? Are the banks and institutions the only place you can get funding from? Can you crowdfund? Can you, are you willing to grow at a slower rate so that as you grow slowly, you can retain 100% of equity and still eventually hit your goals, but maybe it takes you an extra 10 years to get there? So I think a lot of people need to sit back and really think through what their goals are and not just so be focused on, I want to make X amount of money and I want to scale because, and it's not just Dragon's Den, it's a lot of, um, if you go on press, I think entrepreneurs don't think about this. I'm going to go on, you know, Good Morning America or City Line and people mm-hmm. on the shopping network and they love the product. Do you have the infrastructure to sustain that? Because that's going to make or break your business. <laughs> people don't think through that. They just think, I want to go on the shopping network and sell my African dresses. Can you make $700,000 African dresses by tomorrow if everybody loves your design, girl. <laughs> oh, my God. You hit on a very important point there. I was sitting in a meeting with uh, a client who like makes almost $10 million. This client is in, it's in the cosmetic distribution space. And so there is this other lady who came in from Toronto wanting to find a company that's going to take their business and take it international. As luck would have it, luck or fate or whatever, these two people met and it's like, oh, yes, we can actually take your product and take it international. Can you, do you have the infrastructure to make this work? Yes, 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 we do. It's like, okay, first order, send us 500 units. And then she pulls out. Like, 
she didn't have the infrastructure to make that happen. So what you're saying really, really does make sense because a lot of people have all these big lofty goals, but they haven't actually taken the time to say, what is it going to take of me to fulfill on this goal? And am I ready for it? Yeah. I think there's that disconnect because people don't, people they say don't the one it. things, but they're not putting in the, the, the work yeah. to make the thing happen. And sometimes you may not have the infrastructure, right? But do you have the support system that's going to be there? And I'll give you an example. There was one client I had. He ran a trucking business his whole life. And he ended up selling it, I think, like 20 years later for like $100 million. And he still retains majority stake in that company. Mm-hmm. This guy told me, I remember we went in to, you know, pitch him and everything. And he told us this his story. And he's like, he got his big break because there was a snowstorm in the U.S. And I think all these trucking companies like pulled out and was it Macy's or whomever I think it was Macy's they were looking for somebody who could drive down to the U.S. pick their stuff up from another state and drive it to New York because there's that big Macy's Day sale that happens I think it's on um, Boxing Day or Christmas Eve or whatever Mm -hmm. and he was like everybody said no because it was an insane snowstorm and he said yes and he got his friends and his sons and whomever and they just went and they loaned trucks and they drove all the way from Toronto, all the way down to New Jersey, back to the U.S. in this horrific snowstorm to deliver these goods. And that helped him solidify his big contract that put him on the map. So there's, there's mm. going to be risks. There's going to be, you just have to jump on an opportunity. But again, he said yes because he knew I can call my homeboys to do this. <laughs> like you gotta, you gotta know that you got. You know what I mean? Like you can make this happen if the if the, whether it's the the sewing the five hundred dresses or whatever. Are you and your aunties and everybody you know? <laughs> and if you can't do that, you have to be realistic about your your circumstances. It's just me, me and my two best friends running this business. I might have to give up on this but hope that the next time the opportunity comes around that I am in a position where I'm ready versus killing a situation because especially with like VCs and this type of thing, these people talk. So now you go and you pitch and I've moved to a different firm. I'm going to remember, yo, the last time we tried to give this girl funding, she couldn't deliver. It's two years later. Yeah, she's grown. She's at this, but like. Yeah, you created the first impression, right? It's like, no, we we don't want to do that. Yeah. So it's just, you got to make calculated there's risks. Entrepreneurship is a risky business. You just gotta, you gotta take those calculated risks and, you know, see what is going to be pay, pay off and what, what are you willing to be patient on? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> so you, you've definitely spoken to a lot of businesses, a lot of people, like what has been your favorite client transformation for somebody that you helped to do something in the financial space? Um, I, I think it's, I don't have one particular client. I think it's just all of these stories of, and so I say that's the beauty of living across Canada, because when you live in Toronto, your portfolio looks different of the type of businesses there, but more established. But in Alberta, it was awesome because it was literally these made from the bottom. Now I'm here stories like you will not believe, um, like I said, like, you know, um, there was one guy, he's apparently has the only contracts for 18 wheelers in Canada because he finessed a way to get them up here back in like the 80s or the 90s or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another guy, he dropped out of school because he had a learning disability, went and worked on oil rigs, and he went and started a multi-million dollar oil, um, oil vac operations business. And when the pandemic happened and the oil crash and all these things that have been happening, his business has sustained throughout yeah. that, right? And he didn't go to any fancy school. He doesn't have, he has grade 10, up to grade 10 education. He is, uh, you know, a redneck guy. If you saw him, you would never think twice. Even the way that he built his business, I he went alternative routes to finding ways to find people who work for him. But like, those are the stories for me that are, like, for example, in the oil and vac trucking business, a lot of times they'll hire employees and they'll buy trucks. He was mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to contract out to these people. So guys will already have their trucks and stuff. They can come. And where he went to find his clients, he didn't advertise in like the regular (laughs) places. Funny enough, he actually went to the strip club to go and find them because that's (laughs) a big thing up in Fort McMurray back in the day. But when I say like, you have to think outside the box to grow your business. (laughs) That's that's the perfect thinking outside the box. (laughs) 
I'm not saying you gotta go to the strip club to do that. But to me, those are the stories I love because I'm just like, we get taught as, you know, in society, and especially I feel like, you know, my upbringing, I don't know if it's still, but it's like, go to school and learn and everything you need to know is in school and be corporate and da da da. And I look at these stories and I'm just like, wow, these guys really, they're like, they're really like, I'm living life and I'm just gonna yeah. do what needs to be happen to, to get these deals and build this business. And and to me, those are the greatest transformations because when you see them on the road, you'd never think twice, but they're more successful than the person you see in the fancy suit walking down on Bay Street, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I heard you talk about your your own experience and the fact that you being in sales is what created the ability for you to then be able to like being a great salesperson opens doors for you because it teaches you how to negotiate. And and you definitely you mentioned somebody that I've kind of listened to, Patrick Bet David, and yeah. how his career in sales that created what he is right now. So would you say sales is one of the top skills that entrepreneurs definitely need to learn? Or if not, then what what is it? You need to be one of two things. You need to be a yeah. salesperson or you need to be a very technical person who can build something in this day and age, I feel like. Um, sales more so than anything, because I always tell people, even, even if you're not an entrepreneur, if you're working in the workforce, everybody needs a salesperson. They will yeah. always need a salesperson. Um, and sales experience is going to teach you a lot. It's going to teach you how to negotiate. It's going to teach you how to think outside the box. It's going to expose you to a lot more. It's going to teach you how to negotiate, not just in business deals, but even for your career, right? In, in salary negotiation and, and that type of thing. Um, sales is, if you look at almost every entrepreneur that's doing really, really well, they're probably a salesperson with the exception of maybe a couple. And they're the very technical people who are like um, Shopify. Their CEO was an engineer, a software engineer, okay. right? Even mm -hmm. Mark Zuckerberg, he, I think, was a software engineer or he was in the tech um, space. So I, I believe that you either need to be a very technical person. It doesn't have to be tech. It can be whatever your industry is. Or you have to be a salesperson in order for you to be successful. But I feel like the salesperson will do better than the technical person because technical people will always struggle to sell. They'll always show, and you're not just selling to the customer, you're selling to the banker, you're selling to the VC, you're selling to, you're always selling. That's your job as an entrepreneur because you want to mm -hmm. make money. Somebody has to buy your product or your service at the end mm -hmm. of the day or your mentorship, whatever it is that you're pushing, right? Yeah. So sales is the biggest and the most important trait that people need to learn. And where, where is the best place to go get that kind of training? Hands on, baby. Hands on. You got to get out there. You got Listen, I was not a great salesperson. Like, I I remember growing up as a kid, and I think it comes from my mom. Because yeah. my mom always be like, you know, because we were growing up a party, she was always like, just go and network. Just go talk to people. Just like, because you never, because that's kind of like what helped her, right? And yeah. I used to hate it. I'm an introvert. I used to hate like you are, I, I'm very much. <laughs> I I hate networking events. I I would rather like do a one on one with somebody than go to like a room full of strangers. That's just me. So taking being in jobs where it sort of forced me to have to talk to people, um, figuring out how I'm going to navigate that sales process, and it'll look different for and that networking. It'll look different for different people. Um, so you then learn like what becomes your sales persona. So if you're not naturally a salesperson, do you have to get like, you know, you put on your Sasha Fierce if you have to yeah. be able to go out there and sell? Um, or is your sales, you know, your, your networking style very different? Like I said, like, I don't like going to a room. I'll go into a room full of strangers, but my preference is to say, hey, I reach out to you. We were at this event. Let's go grab a cup of coffee because I enjoy one on one or small group interaction. I find that more valuable use of my time. So you yeah. got to navigate and figure out what works for you and then apply that to your business and how you're going to sell, whether that, and that, you know, that could be, I don't want to go door to door or go to conferences or go whatever the sale, however your sales model is. It might be, I'm comfortable creating a video and running ads for this. I'm comfortable doing interviews and getting into press and doing write-ups in my industry whatever circulars so that's going to grow my name and then people are going to look me up and then buy whatever I'm selling you got to yeah. figure out what that that model of sales is is going to work for you but you have to learn those sales skills to be successful yeah 
Yeah, that's beautiful. And for me too, like you said, you're an introvert and I don't believe that. Sometimes when I tell people I'm, intro- I'm an introvert, I don't believe it too. Because like you run a podcast. Yeah, but I'm talking to people one-on-one. <laughs> but also yeah. that's created for me the ability to then actually pick up the microphone and speak somewhere. It's like, oh, Ida, you're natural. But yeah, I got a lot of practice to then start talking yeah. to people. So I think and people it's very... To your brand, right? There's like the credibility. I now trust Ida. What is Ida selling? Oh, you know what? I actually might want to buy this or recommend this because I love her podcast. Like you're finding your vehicle to brand yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I, oh, well, thank you for saying that. <laughs> and I have another question there. So, of course, in general, people hire me to do the accounting, bookkeeping, and taxes. And one thing I've noticed is that most businesses ignore the need for that until yeah. they get into some kind of trouble. And so you being someone that has worked with a lot of them, like what do you see in this area? Is it something that you, and what would you, what would you advise businesses that are coming and Listen, have this nobody, issue? Nobody's giving you money if your books aren't in order. Even <laughs> even if you are a rinketing little company and you're like, I just need a thousand dollars. Nobody is giving you money until they see your books. So yeah. get your books in order from day one. And that could be hiring services for people like yourself. Or figuring out, like, how do you automate it online or how do you, whatever you need to do, always be ready. Because you never know when that opportunity for money is going to walk through the door, right? And you don't want to be, one day you're at an event and there's a West Hall that shows up. And somehow he's just like, yo, your business is amazing. And then you've not been doing bookkeeping for like the last five six years you somehow managed to skate the cra but like you know what i mean like you gotta be ready you gotta yeah. be ready so I, th- I think that's that's item number one is making sure you're incorporated properly you're doing your books accurately um like i said making sure that you're paying the least you can pay for your banking services so shopping around once a year or once every two years depending on how much bandwidth you have those are important things that people need to pay attention to um, and then making sure that you're ready to swap out, like I said, your players as you grow and as you need them, because grandma can't be doing the books <laughs> in her little, little notebook for 20 years. You know what I'm saying? I, I knew you were going to say grandma and I was ready for it. <laughs> Grandmas are going to hate me if they listen to this podcast. <laughs> like, what's, what has she got against us? <laughs> what's wrong with her? Why does she keep saying you guys should fire me? Like, she okay? Like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> oh, I'm looking at my notes here and I did mention burnout and high performers. And I was actually talking to a mindset coach not too long ago. And she she said, like, Ida, you know what? That's actually the problem with a lot of high performers. They they get to a stage where they're either they're afraid of letting people down or they've created this personality for themselves that's like, I am the person that gets things done. And then they, they, they fear, um, quote unquote, letting people down. Uh, but at some point it's like, okay, you know what? That's it. I'm out. Like, Yeah. I think my problem has being first generation everything. And I think yeah. a lot of people who are first generation, everything's suffer from this. Um, you always feel the need to perform and achieve and have momentum. And nobody has ever taught you that you have to rest because there's, I had to recognize that growing up with not a lot of money, that was the fear that was driving the success, right? A lot of people who are successful or high performers, if we're being real, it's a trauma that they're sort of, it's that's enabling the high performance. And you mm-hmm. get to a point where um, I think for myself, I just got so burnt out. There was the pandemic. I never rested in the pandemic when most people got to take a little bit of a breather. I was dealing with being president of CAUFP and George Floyd and, and, helping other people manage their trauma around racism, right? And then post um, that, I then swapped jobs. I had I was in a very high-performing job at a big four accounting firm. Um, and it took my sister getting breast cancer earlier this year for me to really stop and be like, what, what do you want out of life? What, you know, do you just want to keep doing this? What, what does success look like to you? And what does your happiness look like? You can still be successful and be happy, but what does that look like? Do you have to keep going, you know, 100 miles per hour doing all these things? Um, mm-hmm. And and that was sort of the catalyst for me to to take a pause um, 
going to therapy to recognize that, like I said, a lot of this is, it's trauma infused. It's the fear of, I never want to be that poor again. I never want to yeah. be, um, you know, and, and that was kind of where, and I'm still working through it. I think um, I'm learning a lot. I've been six months um, out of the workforce now. Mm-hmm. And it's been the best thing that's ever happened. But I'm not going to say that it was easy because you're coming to terms with what is my identity. My identity yes. was these things. What was my success? I walked away from a startup that I co-founded. Now I'm I'm just in my, you know, um, relaxation, restoration, whatever phase. And, I, and I'm figuring out, like, what is the next thing for me? And that's a lot of deep inner work that I think a lot of top performers hide away from and I think it's probably a good thing that it's happened because I feel like whatever happens in the next phase of my life is going to be better because I'm going to be more self-aware I'm going to be more in tune with things and I'm going to have boundaries for what I say no to um and not be you know the one who's always yes I want to do it I don't have any room on my plate but I'm just gonna put my hand up because I'm passionate and and actually really self-assess um what it is that I want to involve myself in so yeah wow that is deep thank you for sharing that no problem no problem and i hope a lot of women who are listening not even women just men everybody um do what you need to do to take a break um your success is not determined by your productivity level you know um recognize that recognize that those skills that got you those achievements will get you that after the fact but take a minute to pause because life life is really short like if you didn't learn that in the pandemic there will be something else that god the universe allah whoever you believe in will push in front of you to say relax take a time out and breathe it's okay to breathe sometimes you know yeah oh lord and and i heard somebody say it always comes in threes it comes like um it comes like a whisper like there's something whispering, like you need to take a break or something, whatever. It comes like a whisper. And then if you don't listen, it comes like a tap on the shoulder. And when you don't listen, then it comes like a bang, a door shut in your face. Like now you got to go. And yeah. so something like we know, but oftentimes we're pushing. It's like, no, I'm just going to, I can't yeah. say no right now. I have to keep going. Yeah. Next yeah. summer, next year, when I reach this amount of dollars, when my business is sold, when what we always will make an excuse. And it's like, no, you can pause. Life still has to happen. Bills still have to get paid. We get that. But you don't have to have as much on your plate all the time. And I think for business owners, that looks at what can you outsource, right? Little things like that. Um, and I'm sure you've probably given your line of business and the work that you do. You've probably talked to many, I'm assuming, entrepreneurs. Yeah. And you've told them this. Like, sometimes it means you got to grow the team. You got to hire more yeah. people. And yes, you're going to take in a loss because you're paying salaries, but like you get to see your kids for dinner. Isn't that yes. better? Yeah. And actually be at dinner because I used to do that as well. Before I got my video editor, I would record yeah. the podcast and edit them myself. I was like, I'm there, but I'm not there. And so right now when I shoot, I drop it off. Like, okay, Ryan, do your thing. And he's going to be listening to this. Ryan, go do your thing. And he yeah. takes care of it. It's like, I just ready. Fine. Put it up. So it's it's really that letting go, like knowing when it's time to expand your team, knowing when when it's time to just take some time for you and only doing the things that only you have to do. Like I have to do this uh, uh, yeah. interview. My team cannot do the interview for me, but I don't have yeah. to do the rest of it. So what is it I need? I, I can outsource and growing the team to do that. Yeah. And this goes back to that initial conversation we had earlier, right? About what does the roadmap for your business look like? What pace do you want to grow at? What do you want to achieve? What are you willing to give up? And what are you willing to put a boundary up on? Um, I think people really need to think through those things and not get so fixated on the number, whether it's a salary, whether it's dollar bill investment, whether it's revenue, it's really um, just thinking through those things. Because again, like I said, like, I don't know, I'm having a, you know, a very kumbaya, like life is short moment <laughs> these days and everything. I'm just, that's, that's my thought process is like, you know, if I die tomorrow, am I going to be cool with, with, with where my life is at right now? And, and Are you? that really changed. I think I'm getting there. I won't say 100%. There's still a couple of things on the on the goal board that I would like. But I'm probably learning to prioritize myself. And I think that is, I'm very happy with the fact that I'm now learning that. And I'm learning how to give myself grace. Something that I didn't do before. So um, 
very happy with that. So, yeah. <laughs> Great. So what does success look like to you right now? Because I heard you talk about it in another podcast and you talked about wanting to help women founders. Is that still your your goal for the future? Or has it changed while you're just in the space where you're still to decide on what it's going to look like for you in the future? Still to decide. I, it definitely involves women, I think, especially women of color. I think there's still so much work that needs to be done for us. Um, what that looks like, I'm still exploring and validating, but it definitely will be in that segment just because I think women are dope and the world overlooks us, especially women of color. And we just need to, we can't wait for somebody to save us. So we got to build those frameworks and, and um, systems and put those in place to help ourselves. So um, stay tuned. And hopefully in the near future, something will be launched. I don't know what yet, but something. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be great. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, so Lord, uh, ears. <laughs> oh, amen. Amen. <laughs> Is there anything I haven't asked you that you'd want to share with the audience? Maybe something you're working on, anything you want to promote? Please go ahead. No, nothing right now. I think, um, you know, like I said, I'm a part of the Black Ties um, startup, but it's still something that, a platform that I think is really great. So for anyone who's listening and, you know, is looking to connect with other Black um, professionals, which includes entrepreneurs, definitely go and, and check out uh, the app and the website. Um, that's something that's important. And um, I will be eventually launching my own podcast. So stay tuned for that. And that'll be focused along business topics, um, impact, social impact. That's also very important to me and a, a range of different discussions on that. So that should be, I'm aiming to launch that in the the new year. I'm looking forward to it. So you see that that was coming, like that education piece of it, you're already working on it. It's just, we didn't hear it yet, but we heard yeah. it first year. <laughs> yes. Got the exclusive. exclusive. <laughs> we got the exclusive. And so if somebody wanted to connect with you to learn more from you, what's the best platform to reach you on? LinkedIn. I'm always on LinkedIn. I always answer my LinkedIn. Unless you're trying to sell me something, then I'm going to ignore you. Um, <laughs> I get I get hit up for a lot of sales stuff on there. So uh, yeah. it's very hard to get me to, to, to get my attention on that type of stuff. And I'm, like I said, I used to be a salesperson. So you got you to gotta come hard if you're trying to sell to me. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn is, is definitely the best place um, if anybody wants to connect, follow. Um, or even if they just, you know, they want to chat and they need some help or advice. I'm usually always available to help folks. Awesome. The links on how to contact Meryl are going to be down in the description below. If you're listening to this on the podcast, check the show notes. If it's on YouTube, check the description below. And until next time, guys, it's been Meryl Africa. Thank you so much for your time today, Meryl. And thank you, guys. We're going to see you next time. For more insightful conversations with entrepreneurs, check out this video right here. I think you'll love it. Continue to enjoy and I'll see you there.